Welcome to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Each episode, LRV Health's Keith Viglioli will talk to the healthcare insiders who are helping to fundamentally transform our healthcare industry. Hey, everybody, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. I'm here with our host, Keith Figlioli of LRV Health. Keith, it's JP Morgan time, or it was JP Morgan time. It was. It just was. So we, uh, it kind of came and went, I guess, is the headline a little bit to me, where I felt like, you know, the second year in a row, it's virtual. And it was kind of like, for me, it was kind of a non-event. I mean, there's some good content, but it was kind of a non-event because we weren't all packed into San Francisco trying to find a place to to meet with people. Yeah. To recreate the whole feeling of JP Morgan, do you just take like a big handful of money, just keep throwing it out the window at, uh, to represent all the money you spend in, in San Francisco on $1,000 hospital uh, hotel rooms and such? Yeah. I try to order Uber Eats every 10 minutes and sort of that, that kind of that covered it. That's right. Just run your hand up and down some dirty surfaces and there you go. So uh, this is getting to be a, this is a tradition. Third time makes it a tradition, I think, or at least a trend. We've got uh, Dan Michelson back. He's the CEO of Strata, which is one of the largest decision support companies in the healthcare space. Uh, you've known Dan for a long time and you've, uh, again, twice before. Now this is uh, third time's a charm. Sat down with him to review JP Morgan. Now give us some of the takeaways from that conversation. Yeah, as people may recall, you know, Dan does a great job every year historically writing down his thoughts from sitting in the JP Morgan conference and specifically the nonprofit track. So a lot of people know this, some people don't, but on Mondays and Tuesdays for most of the day, a lot of the large nonprofit healthcare systems present in what's called the nonprofit track at JP Morgan up on the 32nd floor, but the last two years virtual. And he recaps all those thoughts and puts them down. He had historically produced an article for Becker, sort of a top 10 list, top 10 takeaway. And we wanted to kind of reproduce that. Dan's a good friend. I was like, well, let's reproduce it in a discussion, not just kind of in a on the paper and in the news. This year, he actually did two articles, which are out, one in Fortune and one in Stat News, sort of recapping his thoughts. And then we took that and played that into the podcast this year. And we've done that the last three years now. So we did one right after we were in person three years ago, and then we did the last two virtual. So it's more than a trend. It's part of the sort of folklore of the Healthcare is Hard podcast now. And it is an episode, hopefully our January episode every year. That's terrific. So what were uh, some of the uh, observations that Dan uh, brought forth? We talked a lot about, you know, he he has a lot of data. So he understands volume levels. He understands what's going on in these systems because he's got the biggest footprint of sort of decision support data, meaning financial data. So he can really kind of examine sort of what's happening in the space. And so we started there talking a lot about volumes being down still, obviously, given the Omicron surge, you know, people trying to make ends meet on budgets. His software also does budgeting and forecasting for systems. So they use his software to do that. And so he's he's sort of in the middle of all that. And so the opener was really about just where we are. And I think the punchline was not only our volumes down, but we have this overhang of workforce issues, which I think we're all realizing. And there wasn't a presentation that didn't start with workforce challenges. But I think the surprise for both of us and the punchline for both of us was we heard a lot of systems doing better than we would have thought. And we heard a lot of systems starting to think about how do we move forward? You know, we're hearing this a lot in our strategic network here at LRB too. like start talking to us about what happens post COVID. 
you know, we're still in the middle of it. We're still trying to figure it out. But what happens post-COVID? What does the new normal look like? So this JP Morgan to us kind of felt like we're moving into that new normal, even though we're still in the middle of this big surge right now. And, you know, things like M&A, things like investments and innovation, you know, solving the mid and long-term challenges around workforce, you know, everybody's trying to get their eye towards an operating model that can be sustainable and thinking about what's happening in other sectors of the market and how that's impacting some of the incumbents for some of the bigger trends that, that we both pulled out. It would seem to be a, a critical path for us as a, for our nation to move forward, just to have a, a healthy, vibrant healthcare system that can handle surges better than they've been and they're doing the best they can. But uh, clearly it's been a challenge. Finally, going back to just talking about JP Morgan, what do you think? If COVID allows, if safety allows, do you think there's going to be an in-person meeting Next year, these two virtual years sort of popped the balloon or killed any momentum. How are you getting by without this annual pilgrimage to Union Square? Well, the crazy thing is like, you know, probably you too, but up to a month ago, I had my ticket, I had my hotel. And so the event was full on until we saw sort of the real, you know, hockey stick of Omicron. So I think, you know, I wouldn't make any predictions with the virus and the pandemic. I mean, who knows? I would assume it's on next year and they're going to try to have it on, but, you know, Best laid plans, similar to this year, who knows, given what's been going on with the various surges. We'll cross our fingers and hope we're through. I've got one of my kids that's just finishing up day 10 of of having it. So it's been an interesting experience for the last couple of weeks for us, too. We're keeping our head down, so we'll see. But I think it's going to come and get everybody at some point. All right. Well, let us uh, begin this interview. We're going to be, you're speaking with Dan Michelson, the CEO of Strata. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Healthcare is Hard podcast. I have to say, it's one of my favorite episodes of the year. I get to hang out with one of my good buddies, Dan Michelson, who's the CEO of Strata, sort of world-leading, I would say, decision support company that is sort of the de facto decision support sort of platform in the industry. And Dan's also a good friend that is probably one of the best when it comes to recapping JP Morgan annual conference. And so, Dan, welcome back to the podcast. I think this is 3.0. It is. Yeah, no, this is a fun conversation. So I get to geek out for three days of the year, two days of watching presentations and one day trying to assemble it into some key takeaways. So that's, um, I think, the big theme of what you and I want to talk about today. I think one of these years when we actually get back in person, we should literally be like doing this podcast over drinks at the tail end of the event. So we have it like really, really fresh. Yeah, well, we are. It's just coffee versus something else. So <laughs> over, over Zoom. So this is the second year in a row of Zoom, which which I'm a little depressed about. I was just joking with my wife. I'm like, I go nowhere. I went from like going everywhere to like going down to my home office at this point, given Omicron and uh, not leaving the house anymore. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was some things that were kind of interesting or like that represented a bit of a change for some of us who've been you know, commuting and traveling for multiple decades. That was sort of interesting about it. And But I think that kind of has worn off now. I think everyone's ready to be in motion again, for sure. We're going to have the roaring 20s of travel after this, I'm sure. So I think so. I think so. So let's start there because I think, you know, before we jump too headlong into the conference sort of review and feedback from what you took away and what I took away, let's just talk about where we are in the pandemic. And I think you sit in a very unique position in that you see a ton of data getting refreshed continually 
on volumes, on financial metrics, on staffing, and all sorts of different views on that. What is sort of your take and the company's take right now and all of your customers, which really is mostly the healthcare market, healthcare provider market across the country, what's the take right now where we are in the pandemic and sort of the backdrop of all this before we jump into the presentations at JPM, mostly around the nonprofit side? So let's ground this conversation a little bit. Strata works with roughly 2,000 hospitals, so about 400 health systems. So roughly half of U.S. healthcare is running on Strata. So what Epic is to the clinical side of healthcare, Strata is to the cost side. That's one way for people to simplify it and think of it that way. Over the last two years, um, well, I guess since March of 2020, been doing probably somewhere between three to five Zoom calls a day with CFOs. So <laughs> now the number's in the hundreds for sure. And, you know, you begin to see some themes, not only from the data, right? Um, so the, you know, if you will, the, the objective, but also just the subjective view, you know, just how are people feeling? So um, what we're able to do, because it's a cloud-based solution, is our clients collaborate in something called Stratosphere, which is a data consortium that represents a cohort of those 2,000 hospitals. You know, and it's been, uh, you know, interesting two years. Um, the themes now, I guess if you were to try to bottom line it, there's been essentially a V-shaped recovery. Now, it's not all the way back to where it was before for everybody. I want to make that clear. So at JP Morgan, we saw presentations from 20 of the you know, most prominent and largest health systems in the country. You know, so that's going to look a little bit different than, than a community-based hospital. But I would say that for the most part, you know, and this is the kind of way that I framed it in a summary that I you know, put together for this conference, it's probably the greatest comeback in the history of healthcare. You know, I mean, I don't know what would rival it. <laughs> but if you look at it strictly from a financial standpoint, I wouldn't say they're all the way back to normal, but volumes dipped about 30 to 40%, Keith, you know, at, um, in March and April uh, when people were initially reacting to the pandemic. But then the comeback began. And while it's been bumpy with these different waves as they've hit, you know, you're probably looking at somewhere between 95 to 100% of 2019 volumes is where the majority, the vast majority of health systems are at right now. And in healthcare, we could talk about this forever and we probably will, but it's still mainly a volume game, at least today, for most health systems. So if you want to understand the financial results of a health system, just look at their, at their patient volumes. It really, unfortunately is the leading indicator that lets you know how, how folks are doing from a, a revenue and a, and a margin perspective to at least some extent. Which is kind of ironic that when you think about what you just said, and you know, I looked at the, I was looking at the data this morning, knowing we were getting on this, you know, hospitalizations are now above the biggest peak of the pandemic. And so the question becomes, I mean, caseload's a whole different discussion too about being the highest, but that's not really a good indicator here. But if you think about that, you know, one thing that I've observed over 20 plus years of working with health systems is they're incredibly good at absorbing bumps in the road. And this has been a very big bump, but it almost feels like we're in a new normal period, meaning we had the shock and all of March, February, March 2020 and through the summer there. Still was bumpy through that whole year, but it felt like the operating model, and this is what you know well, given your background at Strata too, is they have budgeted as such this year. And it almost feels like they've right-sized the organizations a little bit. And, and we're going to talk about the big elephant in the room too when it comes to staffing in a bit. But you know, I'm curious, sort of like when you sit back and you talk to so many CFOs, it almost feels like when I talk to CFOs this year, it's almost a new normal. 
I think you're right. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, guys. So after, you know, watching 20 presentations of, from CEOs and CFOs, it's sort of like, hey, sit back for a second. You're like, huh, what did I hear? What didn't I hear? And the thing I didn't hear is COVID. They weren't really talking about it. So I think to your point, I don't think it's a matter of them not focusing on it or addressing it at all. I think it's more of what you just said, Keith. They are actually, you know, view this as a normal part of their operating model and they're prepared for it. They have PPE, they're not panicking. This is, you know, close to two years worth of work. They are prepared for the waves as they come and they're accepting it as part of the job to be done. That's, I mean, absolutely, totally fascinating, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, because the worst case has already been addressed. You know, the way that I described it is, I don't think they hit a bump in a road. I think they went underwater completely. And I think they were drowning completely. And you could feel that stress every single conversation for almost a year. But once that became, like you said, the new normal to an extent, they learned to live with it. And now what you can see is they can breathe. That's the difference is, is they've, I'm not saying that they're, you know, all thriving, but they're not just surviving either. You know, they're looking forward as I think a lot of businesses are. I mean, there's a ton of optimism across the economy, obviously, you know, right now. Why shouldn't that extend to healthcare? I mean, so consumer, you know, driven demand is what drives every business, you know, and healthcare is no different. And when you have all of this delay in care, which we knew what would happen because of that. And we started to see that people came in sicker, they stayed for longer, right? So that drove volume. Like you said, patients are coming in with COVID, um, but many are being diagnosed once they're in the hospital as having COVID. So it's not necessarily the reason why they're coming in. So that uh, there's a little bit of noise, you know, in the numbers right now that I think everybody recognizes and, and can appreciate. But at the end of the day, when beds are full, once again, unfortunately, that means that at least from a financial standpoint, hospitals and health systems are secure. No different than a restaurant, no different than a law firm. I mean, it, this is not like necessarily a negative thing. I mean, we were very, very, very fortunate and then misguided when it came to healthcare over the last, you know, two years. Fortunate in that, you know, these people heroically responded in a time of need, misguided in that we didn't understand the sacrifice that they were actually making or support them, you know, in the right way. Initially, yeah, I mean, everybody was celebrating them, then everybody forgot about it. And this is still the area, you know, when it comes to COVID, where the tension at the bedside or on the front line, however you want to refer to it, it's still there every single day. It's interesting on that point, when you talk about sort of being front and center. You know, one thing as we start diving into here, and I'll set a little context in a second, but and the CEO of Mass General Brigham system here in Boston, I thought she said it really good in her opening comments at JP Morgan, which is look, everybody wants to, I'll be, this is not what she said, but everybody kind of wants to crap on health systems and not really think about how important they are in the bigger scheme of things. If anything, this pandemic has shown us is how important not only the systems are, but the staff, to your point, associated with them to society. And I like couldn't agree with her more when she said that because I was like, yes, because I'm always like the person I feel like I'm trying to defend health systems most days where everybody loves to just, you know, bring them down. So with that, like just for some backdrop, so people who don't have this context, because I'm not so sure who set it up so well in the beginning or I didn't, is, you know, every year, 
We're trying to do this recap with Dan and myself. And we're trying to bring people into what is a very mystique sort of setting at JP Morgan and specifically not the for-profit track, but specifically the nonprofit track, health systems predominantly, every Monday morning through early afternoon and every Tuesday morning through early afternoon at JP Morgan, there's about Dan would know better than me, but 20, 25 of these presentations by the leadership teams of some of the largest healthcare systems around this country. And it's held up typically on the 32nd floor up at the Westin Hotel where the event is held. Uh, the last two years, it's been held virtually, which has been interesting because you've been able to bounce in and out of a bunch of these things, probably better than running to really slow elevators in the hotel. But I just want to give that backdrop. And, and with that, Dan, you've done an incredible job every year, kind of just kind of consolidating down the takeaways. And so when you step back this year, as we dive into this, and you think about what the main takeaway or set of takeaways are, I'd love to sort of start our chat there as we get into the next level of detail here. Yeah, there's really two that stood out to me. I mean, one is having been in healthcare for 30 years, you could kind of, once COVID hit, you could tell this was going to be the moment. And, you know, what it was going to reveal on the other side was to be determined. So now you have a chance two years later to an extent uh, to look back and reflect on that. And one thing that stood out, Keith, is, you know, there's been essentially, you know, once again, I think I referred to it before, but a V-shaped recovery. And in this case, V doesn't just stand for the shape of the recovery, but also for volume, right? Because volume has brought back uh, revenue and as we were referring to before. But I think the consistency of the comeback, you know, what I refer to as the greatest comeback in the history of healthcare was very, very clear. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, once again, that that's being felt and understood by everybody. But the, the cool thing was, and I think this is essential because of the role, like you said, that these hospitals and health systems play in our community, for ourselves, for our friends, for our neighbors, they're moving back into thinking about the future now. So there's, a, you know, a clear eye uh, towards strategy once again, so they can breathe. And now they're starting to look, you know, forward. The second one, and this was obviously, you know, no surprise to anybody, but the big issue for 2022 is clearly going to be staffing and all the dimensions of it. Not a, a simple problem to solve, but you can pick up on some of the themes in terms of how people are attacking that problem, you know, by listening to these presentations. But everybody either brought that topic up or were asked that in the Q&A afterwards. I think, you know, when you, in our strategic network, which is a lot of health systems around this country... I have yet to be on a conversation with them over the last six months, and that hasn't been first of a discussion. So much so that, as you may recall, we do a strategic innovation forum every spring where we pick a topic to kind of deep dive into. This spring, we're doing workforce. And we're not doing workforce around the low-hanging fruit, like, you know, talking all about raising minimum wage and things like that. But we're talking about kind of horizon two, horizon three type stuff. How do you augment the workforce? How do you rethink about deploying technology differently? How do you, and these are not like quick fixes. These are like five to 10 year shifts that could take place that fundamentally change sort of this paradigm. And some of this has been under, underfoot for a long period of time. I always say on the workforce and the staffing side, you know, COVID really shined a light on this problem. This was not a new problem. I mean, the burnout factor had been going for a long period of time. This is just like an endless burnout factor, in my opinion, because of just the shifts that they're having to take and the waves that they're having to deal with. 
But every system that we talk to, this is the number one, the number two, and the number three issue right now. And it's also not just in healthcare, right? I mean, so, I mean, you know, sometimes we think of healthcare as being on this unique island, but it's not. And I think this kind of has revealed that. You're right. There's some accelerants in healthcare, all the things we've been talking about that make it a particularly acute, you know, issue. Obviously, you know, there's, we have customers who are, have opened new buildings and can't staff them. <laughs> and that wouldn't surprise a single person. I think this is, you know, it just depends. Like, so there's a lens here that's really an interesting lens. And that lens is, is this a problem or is this a challenge? And it's a really important way of thinking, you know, when it comes to this particular, you know, kind of, I guess, problem or challenge. Because if you think about it as a challenge, then you're thinking about, you know, what do we do both now and in the future to drive efficiency, productivity? And Anne, you referred to Anne from Mass General Brigham. She said uh, technology enabled. I think that's their big theme or one of their big themes. Um, but that's absolutely right, right? So like if it takes five people to do something and it could take two people to do that same thing, and I hate to be so basic, but clearly, you know, that's a, a massive reduction in the need for, for staff. And if you look at that all across the board, that's 10 years of work that's going to be done in healthcare to drive that kind of automation to help simplify the management of this issue. Because this is such a multifactorial, complex issue that hospitals and health systems get drowned in it. Right, um, they're pulling data from twenty different places uh, to to try to address forty different problems. <laughs> it's a complicated problem to begin with, made all the more complicated by the systems and the workflows that are in place. Right, and so now you have this accelerant with COVID, early retirements and wage increases, and you know, kind of what's you know the, the pressure that's coming from you know having to take on agency nurses, right, and traveling nurses, which are two to three hundred percent more expensive. You know, so now in the moment, the problem is so stifling that people are just trying to react to that. But if they can go on offense and really think about collaborations, like you said, carve-outs, you know, many different kinds of approaches that have been thought about and they're thinking about uh, training the next generation, they have to think long-term about this in order to really address this. Um, because you're not talking about five people or 10 people, you're talking about five or 10,000 people. <laughs> We're talking about a health system that has 50,000 people or 100,000 people. It's, I mean, that's some of these health systems are that massive. You know, like let's say you have 10, 20% turnover. You're hiring 10,000 people in a 50,000 person organization. I mean, people have to stop and think about what that really means to create that kind of velocity, right? And now if that spikes up to 25% or 30%, I mean, that becomes completely overwhelming. Well, and some stats on that too. So you may remember this. So, so like Terry Shaw, the, the CEO of, of Advent down in Florida, was talking about this coming, which a lot of people are talking about and have been, and we we've been actually an investment in this area. But you know, the nurse shortage, they think up to a million nurses across the country are close to retirement, and they have at least five hundred thousand as a shortage across the country, thinking about nurses in general. So that's a resource that's under assault. And then, you know, John Starcher at Bonsacor Mercy, the CEO there, was talking about how, you know, right now, labor, to your point about staffing agencies, labor inflation's at like 8% year over year. And that he believes in their budget for this coming year, they have 200 million more in expense versus last year in labor, which is, I mean, Bonsacor is huge, but it's crazy when you start thinking about those numbers. And the last data point I would give for reaction is, we have one system I was talking to two weeks ago that has over 5,000 job vacancies in the market right now. 
and pretty sizable mid mid-sized system, but 5,000 jobs they need to fill today to go to deliver care. And then Wright Lassiter and Henry Ford, I also heard not too long ago, CEO of that system say that he thinks capacity, meaning his full capacity, is on average seven to ten percent lower because he can't find the staff to be able to deliver. So it's all interesting stuff, right? I mean, from a data standpoint, I'm sure you have a bunch in your data sources as well. Well, Advent, you mentioned Terry, I think he said, well, I guess he would love to have John's problem of only uh, $200 million additional expense because his is $440 million in incremental additional expense. So yeah, I mean, these are, these are big numbers, but these are also big health systems and they're going to have to think big. You know, what we tried to do, you know, just what I tried to do, I guess should say, you know, reflecting on the conference is just think about what are the top five strategies that I was hearing, you know, that were consistent themes across the board. And I think the first one you picked up on, which is investing in our current workforce, right? With that said, you're not going to be able to drive enough retention because of these macro forces, you know, for that to bring you all the way home, you know? So, so if your turnover is 25% and you get it down to 20%, you still got a big challenge you know, ahead of you for many years to come. So you see a lot of people, you know, driving that kind of investment, whether it's financially or through benefits, you know, best, you know, one example at least is what Intermountain is doing with Instride, creating an educational platform that's available both to their caregivers and their families. You see things like that all across the board. But I think the big, big, big challenge is going to be the second one, which is just getting more people in the pool. There's going to have to be a massive national effort to accelerate the education of more clinicians. You mentioned Advent. Uh, they have a, a goal of tripling the number of nursing students in their program from 2000 to 6,000. Prisma in South Carolina, largest health system in, in South Carolina, is partnering with colleges and universities to build out and accelerate their programs. Not unique to them, right? You know, all across the board, everyone's trying to create either their own programs or team up with others. But you can see that um, they see this problem as a decade-long problem, you know, not a 10-month problem. And then you look down the board, you know, look at other strategies that people are putting in place. The third one that really stood out to me, and this is not necessarily new, but it's, set, it's certainly being refreshed in a way, is looking outside of the U.S. So partnering uh, with the Philippines has been uh, kind of something that goes back many, many years. But I was talking to Chris's South in Texas uh, they're talking to the uh, government in Mexico about how to uh, collaborate um, in where uh, they may be able to work through immigration uh, issues and others uh, that kind of are essential to kind of consider when you're creating that kind of strategy. But you have everybody who's looking now at a refresh <laughs> of things that they've done before to accelerate it to a greater extent or to really start thinking about uh, to go into new places uh, to bring new people into the system. That's really going to be the only way to, once again, make the pool a bigger pool. But the tension points, I've been saying this for a while, there's a couple of tension points in all of this outside of the pandemic. First is, if you're a newly minted, I'll just use the Boston market, if you're a newly minted Harvard med student, the days of only probably going to like a mass general for employment, I think are over because of the proliferation of care delivery organizations and even payers taking on care delivery across the board. So if you're a newly minted med student from a prominent school, you could go to Mass General. You could go work in the clinical enterprise of, say, Optum. You could go work at One Medical. 
And you could go work at a village MD or maybe other specialty care groups that are coming up as new care delivery technology enabled, better operating in certain instances entities. And I think that changes the game. I mean, so pandemic is one issue. I think proliferation of new care delivery, sort of what I always talk about, this idea of reimagining a payer and reimagining a provider, tons of new employment opportunities. And so then third is this is all going to put pressure on, to your point about international, the regs. And so think about credentialing, think about state border issues, all the stuff that we're seeing with telehealth. Like, I think DC is going to have a deluge in the next five years that's going to be all about fundamentally changing sort of clinical licensure, credentialing, where you practice. I think this is a coming tidal wave because it's going to be the only way to satisfy the load balancing of the staffing issues that we're going to have in this country, especially when the latest stat in healthcare staffing is, which this was shocking to me a week ago when I read it, that healthcare is now the second highest turnover rate behind hospitality as an industry. Like that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, but not surprising. You know, when you look at what's happened over the last two years, and then you think about, well, how long would it take to bend that arc back in the other direction? It's going to take some time. So, you know, once again, problem, I, I called it, a, you know, a challenge before, but let's call it problem opportunity. There's definitely going to be a ton of innovation on the outside. The question is, is how much innovation can they drive on the inside, you know, to help drive that, to help address the problem. But you're right, like virtual care is a perfect example. You know, now you have flexibility in terms of where you live, where you work, how you work, and everything else, every single part of our economy. Why should healthcare be any different? Well, it is different because it's the service industry. You know, so that as you have the um, aging of the population and kind of the proliferation of all these complex issues that extend way beyond COVID, how are you going to care for all these people? It's really becomes a, a tricky problem that you can't just rely on the health systems to solve alone. And I think they're really going to be looking for partnerships and relationships in a very proactive way is kind of what I picked up at the conference as opposed to just a reactive way. I do think they're going on offense and they understand that. I mean, so if you can come in in an entrepreneurial fashion and do a carve out for a hospital and give them clarity on cost and outcomes, right? But take on the problem with staffing and everything else that goes with that particular area, you know, there's going to be opportunities all over healthcare, you know, to do that. And you're already seeing that. I mean, a lot of people do that work with EICUs today. That's a perfect example of where the line is the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. So a lot of these things are being done in different places all over the place, right? They're not really exactly evenly distributed, you know, so these large health systems are now looking to this kind of innovation and the community health systems are going to be lagging behind. You know, so what became is a wave with electronic health records. You know, you and I were looking at this over the uh, last, you know, 10 to 20 years. I really think the next 10 to 20 years, the theme is going to be animation. So uh, taking that noise and giving signal, you know, and really delivering that in a way that's meaningful. That's going to be done from a process perspective, from a data perspective, from a staffing perspective, simple solutions to really complex problems are exactly what people want and need. Let's sort of move to sort of the, the final phase of the recap. And I've got the luxury of having both your pre-release articles. So it sounds like you're releasing your article in a couple of prominent places 
this year with in terms of your recap. And so the way I sort of center the, the tail end of this chat is almost like a, the nice part about this, Dan, every year in the beginning of the year, it's almost like your predictions or your recap from JP Morgan, but it's also your point of view of predictions kind of coming going forward over the next 12 to 18 months, which everybody loves to, to post those. But like when you look at those, all of what we talked about. So we've talked about this idea of um, of a new normal systems sort of have an operating model in place now to be able to handle these shock waves that are going on for the most part. Some don't, but some most do. We talked about the overhang that is staffing, and that is the Uber Uber issue for everybody. And then I think you listed out in one of your articles this idea of sort of a top five implications or top five areas that people should be thinking about over the next 12 to 18 months, if you will, or things that you're seeing. You know, it started with, I think, you know, M&A and maybe starting there and going down to the other four would be great to sort of recap the tail end of this chat about your takeaways, if you will, fully. Yeah, well, you know, the whole theory that a lot of people, I think, <laughs> have repeated through for many years is just follow the money. So if there's $4 trillion spent in healthcare and health systems and hospitals represent, healthcare providers represent 50% or $2 trillion of that spend, you basically are taking a sample of 20 largest ones and saying, okay, well, what are they doing? You know, so these aren't necessarily my predictions. These are the absolute themes that come from what they were sharing over and over again. So like you said, the first one's M&A. Second one is absolutely a big time investment in innovation, which we can talk about more. Really, to me, that's more of collaboration and investment in a way. So we can talk about that and unpack that a little bit. It's uh, another concept of not equal distribution, but those who are going for value are going all the way in like Intermountain, Mass General Brigham, uh, Jefferson Health. There's a advocate. There's many good examples of folks who are super serious and 20, 30, 50% of the revenue are coming through those kind of contracts. And there's those that aren't. Creating destination centers is another big theme, right? So these general hospitals, if you will, to go back to the uh, soap opera term, really aren't uh, what they used to be in terms of their level of attractiveness when you have a certain condition. So that's not a new theme, but it's being accelerated. And then lastly, the one that you and I get very involved with around discussions all the time, which is all different forms of virtual care platforms. And that really gets back to the staffing piece in terms of how important that's going to be. But it's also very much of a consumer-centric tilt. And you know, you hear this theme of, we're no longer a health system, we're now a healthcare company. Well, companies have consumers, they don't have patients. <laughs> so you know, being able to get to the digital natives uh, with a, in a language that they understand is obviously going to be a big part of growth and a growth strategy for any health system over the next decade. So th- those are the five big ones that I saw. And I completely agree with you. It's, it's like almost verbatim from my notes in terms of what I heard. And I, I didn't listen to all of them like you did. I listened to probably eight of them. And But consist- one thing that was so consistent this year is that it was consistent. Everybody first talked about staffing. They gave a quick check-in on COVID. Then they talked about staffing. And then they talked about the five that you had there. M&A, innovation, VBC, destination centers, and what are we doing around virtual? It was almost like everybody had the same slide almost this year, it felt like. But it goes back to the first thing we were talking about is because there's been this V-shaped recovery, because they're in good financial shape, even though it may not feel that way from the outside, looking in, or from the inside looking out, they actually can now think about the future in ways that aren't panic-driven. So they are absolutely in a growth and investment mode. There's no question about it. And they're very cognizant of those potential carve-outs and competition in different forms and formats. Uh, They've been educated by Walmart and CVS and others 
So this isn't a new idea to them. They know that their competition isn't just the traditional, you know, five to 10, you know, health systems that may be in and around their area. And a lot of them are thinking very aggressively nationally. Uh, City of Hope is really creating a national brand in cancer. HSS is really creating a national brand in orthopedics as is. Anyways, we know that it's for some it's local, for some it's regional, for some it's national. But based on the, the financial condition of the organization, they can think that way. But if they aren't in good shape, they can't, right? And so it's, uh, it is a tale of two cities, you know, in, in small community health systems, they're not necessarily thinking this way. So I don't want to paint it as, as a uniformed, you know, kind of approach. But yeah, when you look at these 20, absolutely uniform <laughs> in how they're thinking about things. And it's interesting, it's, you know, to your point about sort of open for business, if you will, or moving forward, you know, we've heard many times over the last 30 days, stop talking to us about COVID, talk to us about what the future needs to be, which to me, which is a really interesting point. Like if we go back to, you know, version one of this recap, two plus years ago, really, you know, right before the pandemic, the year before the pandemic, you know, we still were kind of running running hard and, and a lot of it was around reimbursement transformation or value-based transformation, which still continues today to one of your points. If we go back to last year's recap, you and I were both pretty cautious like about what is going to happen, even on the vendor community. Like, does this mean people are going to stop buying things, which I think it did mean. I think now people are open for business again and people are what I'd say is the second phase of transformation. So if you think of the ongoing reimbursement transformation or the idea of the march to value or different alternative payment models that are not just fee-for-service, now there's this full-on march to digital transformation that we have seen in other industries. And I think if you look at your destination center concept, virtual care concept, you know, VBC plays in this, innovation fits in this, M&A, all of this also ties into digital transformation. And the last point I make on that is two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, HMA, Health Management Academy, came out with their survey at the end of 2021. And, for, and it's by stakeholders, so CEO, CFO, CSO, et cetera, CMO. And what was the most fascinating thing, and a bunch of people do these. So these guys are one of many, but it's the first survey I've seen that digital transformation or aspects of digital transformation were top three for every stakeholder. And you're like, wow, it's arrived. And so maybe it's arrived because COVID became that accelerator. And to your point about like, let's move forward, here we are. I think there's another thing happening behind the scenes. So let's call it digital foundation, right? So you need to have that foundation in place. So everyone put Epic or Cerner or whoever is their clinical or uh, electronic health record platform. Now everybody either had an ERP, obviously, in place before, but they have already made the transformation to a cloud-based ERP or they're in that process, right? Neither one of those systems are necessarily a transformation-based system, right? So now you have this foundation that's giving way to transformation. And these transformative systems can now think of it like a vacuum cleaner, take the information out and do something with it in a way that really solves a problem. Where Strata falls in that scheme is that we're essentially an enterprise, we're an EPM, Enterprise Performance Management System, from planning to analytics to performance management. That foundation is what you just said that can be potentially transformative, right? So if you understand the cost to cure, you could do something about it. But if you don't, you won't, right? So, you know, in our mind, you know, what we're seeing is the big trend, Keith, is sort of like um, almost a death 
to be dramatic, to healthcare IT. You know, so healthcare IT is dead. Long live healthcare IQ. You know, and to us, healthcare IQ, and that's how we think of ourselves as a company. Once again, I, I won't go any more on to Strata, but so not to be a commercial, but but just to share our thinking is that the job to be done is not to you know do the old thing, which was to build and implement and support software. That's how we thought of healthcare IT for multiple decades. But now that foundation is set. The transformation, right, is really in helping smart people do smart things. There are a ton of smart people in healthcare, and you and I see this all the time. They're exhausted, they're deflated, they're checking out, right? And so the exciting part, you know, of healthcare is solving problems, you know, both individual problems with a, with a given patient that's in front of you and on scale across the community or across the country. And I think we're now in a position to do that. So I think this is like, I mean, I've been in healthcare for 30 years. I've been in healthcare for 20 years, and I've been at Strata now as CEO for 10 years. I think it's the most exciting time we've ever been in. You know, it's, there's an old saying um, from Zen, which is, the barns burnt down, now I can see the moon. And over the last two years in healthcare, the barns burnt down, but now we can see something new. And I think that's the opportunity for those who are in healthcare as a stakeholder, whether you're on the front line, whether you work for a provider organization or whether you're all the people that surround those organizations with different solutions or supplies or pharmaceutical companies, payers, anybody, anybody who's in this game who really wants to make a difference. Well, you've never had a greater opportunity to do that than right now. There's no question about it. People are investing and they're looking forward. They're focused on transformation, to use your word. Well, let's leave it at that because I think that's a great point about the barns burned down and people can see. And I hope part of this also from my view is that we really start seeing ROI in all this investment over the next decade as well, because we've been really thin on the ROI side, which is a whole nother subject, but it ties into your comment. But Dan, I can't thank you enough to doing this again. Third time's a charm and hopefully next year we'll be in person. We hope, cross our fingers, but uh, thanks again and uh, look forward to keep chatting about all this stuff. We'll do it in person next time. This will be the last time virtual, I promise, no matter what. Thanks for the opportunity, Keith. Enjoyed it. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. If you want to follow Keith Figlioli, he is on LinkedIn. You can find him there, Keith Figlioli. If you want to share this podcast, make sure you, you copy Keith and myself. We'd love to be part of that conversation. You can find me on LinkedIn as well, Tom Salemi. You can also find me on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm the editorial director of the Device Talks events and podcasts. So look at devicetalks.com if you're interested in the medical device field. That's it, folks. Tune in next time for another great episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders.